Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Calvary Bible Church. Please find your seat again. So, for the past couple of months, Pastor Jay has been teaching on the definition and the personal character requirements which accompany the office of elder. And... Um, uh, elder or under-shepherd of the local church. And of course, this is an important teaching, and uh, there's a lot written in Scripture, as we have seen, um, uh, about spiritual leadership. But here's the thing. Human relationships are a two-way street, are they not? And as often over the decades as I have heard sermons about uh, and devotionals and teachings on the topic of spiritual leadership and the eldership, it's striking how seldom that I have heard sermons on one might call Christian followerships. Yeah, for lack of a better term, I couldn't come up with anything better than that. So to ask the question, what is our responsibility as a congregation towards those whom the Lord has placed in leadership over us. So my mission this morning is to make a modest contribution to filling that void. And I feel uniquely qualified to do this for a couple of reasons. First of all, I've spent the last seven or eight years as being a member of the congregation or a, a sheep as it, as it were. And so I know what it's like to be subject to decisions and changes in which I had no part or, or say and to, and to receive teaching and to practice the one and others of congregational life. So I'm also, as many of you know, I'm relatively new back on the elder board. And so I have created for myself what I call the new guy card. And the new guy card is a card that I can play, which helps me to uh, have grace as I relearn the elders' function as a group, and which allows me to speak this morning symbolically as a member of the flock. Now, I asked Sophie to design this new guy card for me, Sophia Calderon, and I asked her for like a nice fluffy sheep, you know, that was like really cute, and that sheep looks like it's just been kind of sheared or something, so you can imagine, you know, something very fluffy, a very fluffy, happy sheep, and... um, so that's, I, I'm going to speak this morning as one of the sheep um, for one last time. And the, the elders are tired of me doing this, you know, in, in the elder meetings. I go, you know, it was just this last week. So I started back in January. And it was, I just learned this week that, uh, that uh, when we sign checks, there have to be two elder signatures on every check that goes off from the church. I did not know that. So see, I can throw down the elder, the new guy card and say, sorry guys, I didn't know that. All right, so so this is my last chance to play the new guy card and uh, to speak as one of the saints in the congregation. So my task this morning is to address this underserved area of teaching, specifically, what is the responsibility of the congregation to its leadership? And I wanted, and to do so, I want us to look at three passages of Scripture. The first one is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and the second and third are from Hebrews chapter 13. So let's turn to them now. Um, it, would you please stand with me in, in respect for the Word of God? This first passage is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, and I'm reading from the, the uh, New American Standard Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. 
But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Second passage is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. The third passage is from Hebrews chapter 13, just further down that chapter, verses 17 and 18. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these passages of Scripture, and we know that all Scripture is inspired. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us to receive the truth of the Word implanted this morning. Lord, may your Spirit be very strong uh, among us this morning. Help us to have open hearts and open minds to receive what it is that your Word has to say. I pray that you will bless our time together this morning, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so in these verses, I came up with what I called three triplets or three groups of three words that I thought were significant from each of the passages. First of all, from 1 Thessalonians, there was appreciate, esteem, and live in peace. The next one from Hebrews 13, 7, remember, consider, and imitate. And then from the third passage, Hebrews 13, 17 through 18, obey, submit, and pray. So let's look at this first passage from 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Appreciate, esteem, and live in peace. So uh, Paul writes here, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, Live in peace with one another. So, you know, as he starts out with a request, right? We request of you, brethren. You know, when, I, when you read the book of Thessalonians, both, both of the letters, you realize how much Paul loved that church. And they were kind of a surprise to him because, remember, he'd just been there for a very brief time. It says that he reasoned with the Jews for three Sabbaths, and then he got run out of town. And so he wasn't sure, you know, what he had left behind. And it wasn't until he sent Timothy up there to to um, to see how, you know, what was left after he was gone. Paul was down in Corinth by then um, that he received this good news back from Timothy that the church was thriving. And so, you know, Paul had a very warm uh, regard for them. And so he approaches them as brothers. He says, we, we request of you brethren. So the, the first thing that we need to keep in mind is when we talk about church leadership is that it's not politics. It's family. That fa- these, these relationships that we have are long-term relationships. Families are long-term relationships. And I thought I would just point out this morning that there's no lay elder serving on the board who has been involved with Calvary Bible Church for less than 25 years. 
So in this day and age, the amount, you know, with the amount of people, the way we move around, you know, I think that's remarkable. Now, we could talk about Pastor Jay, who came here in the mid-90s. He got saved at this church. He met his wife at this church, and um, uh, he was called to the ministry while he was here. He went to seminary while he was here. Um, what else do I have on him? Uh, he went away for a few years, okay, up to uh, Weaverville, but now he's back where he belongs. And so we're going to give him qualification, yeah. So it's out of this family relationship that we as a congregation put forward the people who lead us. And we see this in the First Testament with Moses, you remember the mediator of the First Covenant, where he instructs the Israelites to put forward men whom he would then confirm to lead them. So those who have charge over us in the Lord come from among us. There are people. In this passage, Paul makes three requests. Appreciate, esteem, and live in peace. Let's look at the first one. The first is appreciate. Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now, I think when we hear this word appreciate, our first thought is like to be thankful for, right? Or to show gratitude. And that's not wrong. You know, if somebody does a favor for me, I'll say, appreciate it. But it's really, it's more than that. To appreciate is literally to know or to remember, to recognize or value. The NIV, New International Version, translates it to acknowledge, to realize the content or the difficulty of something. For instance... Michael Jordan, the world's greatest athlete, did not appreciate how difficult it was to hit the curveball. We see this in also in the uh, in Hebrews chapter seven, where the writer wants us to appreciate the significance of Melchizedek when he writes, "Now observe, or acknowledge, or discern, or appreciate how great this man was." And then he spends the rest of the chapter talking about Melchizedek and connecting him to Christ. Remember, Jesus is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So, what are we to appreciate about these leaders? Well, three things we see here, right? Their diligent labor, their responsibility in the Lord, and thirdly, their instruction. Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. First, appreciate that they diligently labor among us. Literally, work hard or toil. They do all the stuff that makes a functioning body of believers possible. And this is an important distinction. The mission of the church is to please God by giving birth to new believers through evangelism and then bring them to spiritual maturity. That is the diligent labor that Paul is talking about. How diligent is diligent? Well, I can tell you from personal experience, it's very easy for an elder to spend up to 20 hours a week doing church-related stuff. And that would be in addition to whatever job and family-related stuff that you need to be taking care of. And, that, and that's when things are going smoothly. I would put deacons in this category as well. And I want thank the Lord for those guys and their diligent labor as well and service to the body. 
So where does this diligent labor take place? Well, we appreciate those who diligently labor among us, right? Among you, along, among, alongside the members of the flock, among us. This is not a top-down relationship. Elders get involved in the knotty issues of faith in people's lives. Elders treat the body as family. Sometimes the role of leaders is to share wisdom, and sometimes it's to fold up and put away chairs. So we're to appreciate the diligent labor of our church leadership. Secondly, we're to appreciate those who have charge over us in the Lord. This idea of charge over as in covering or protecting. Elders are charged with this spiritual responsibility. And there's a couple aspects to this. First of all, this charge is in the Lord. As Paul writes in Ephesians 4, God has given some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So this is a responsibility that is given by God. Secondly, the same passage tells us that the responsibility is among the Lord's people. The body of Christ, his flock, this local church. So the primary area that we should look for guidance and leadership from the elders is to teach us by example and words the testimony of their lives and their teaching how to please God. This brings up the question then for us as the flock. How much do we desire to please God? And the answer to that question is important because... The measure of our desire to please God is the exact measure of the extent to which we are teachable. Let me repeat that. The measure of our desire to please God is the exact measure of the extent to which we are teachable and leadable or helpable and no other. Let me give you an example. All too often, elders are requested to try to uh, provide counseling to help a, maybe a marriage that's struggling or to arbitrate between two believers who've gotten crossways of each other for whatever reason. And as long as there's a third party involved in these conversations, that is, the Lord, and there is a desire on the part of both of these parties to please Him, then the elder can help. As soon as the Lord and a desire to please him is no longer a consideration, when the desire becomes for self-vindication and to prove what a rascal the other party is, there's nothing any elder can do for you except to pray for you. Does that make sense? Why? Because the elders are over us only in the Lord. The elders can't compel anything. It's our desire to please God, which is at root the motivation. So the mission of shepherds is to protect and nurture the flock. But if you don't care about that, if at root we don't really respect that, then we certainly don't appreciate as in understand the work of elders. So we are to appreciate those who diligently labor, have charge over us, and give us instruction. Another aspect of this covering and protecting is to give us tools to protect ourselves. That's done through teaching and through instruction. And it's interesting to note that wherever Christianity goes, you always see the establishment of schools, 
I travel a lot, I've traveled a lot in Asia, a distinctly non-Christian part of the world. And yet in every major city that I've gone where the church has gone, there's also a school and very often a hospital as well, a Christian school in a hospital. So this is, this is one of the things that, that, um, that you see, uh, that we provide instruction, covering, and protection to give tools to protect ourselves through teaching and instruction. The distinctive gift and responsibility of the eldership is teaching. This ties in with the idea of laboring diligently because anyone who is a teacher can appreciate how much time it takes to prepare a lesson. Why is teaching such a big deal? Well, in Hebrews 13, he writes, don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. And the elder's job is to help you with that. The only way to recognize the counterfeit is to know what's true. Because the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So to instruct is to warn. So we are to appreciate those who diligently labor, have charge, and instruct us in the Lord. And this goes hand in hand with the second instruction. Esteem. That you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Esteem. The NIV gets at this word esteem when it translates this verse as hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Highest as an exceedingly high, exceedingly highly. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. And we are to esteem them in love. And this love is agape love. Agape love, Christian love, disinterested love, the distinctive, distinctive characteristic love of believers. This is not a matter of personal liking or per- personal preference, but for the good of the church. Practically, to hold them in the highest regard and love, to recognize and value their work. Why do we value them? It's because of their work. But if we are instructed to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, then we need to know what that work is, right? So I think that we all understand that at root, the work of the eldership is the ministry of the word and prayer. And we get that from Peter in Acts chapter 6. So the ministry of the word, this distinctive gift of the eldership is the ability to teach. It's not surprising, therefore, that the main uh, training ground and source for elders is the Sunday school classes and the fellowship groups. Every elder is involved in teaching and leading a Sunday school class or a fellowship group. Those of you who are teachers know how long it takes to prepare a lesson. I would estimate that for every hour spent teaching, there are 8 to 10 hours of study and prep time. Especially here at Calvary Bible Church, you've got to be prepared. In addition, there are things like new members classes, men's breakfast, discipleship groups, the gathering, and even occasionally speaking to a women's gathering. Then there's Sunday morning worship, baptisms, leading communion or the pastoral prayer, all of which require prep time. A lay elder may even preach from time to time. All of these are included in the ministry of the word. Every Thursday, excuse me, every Tuesday, the elders meet at 6.30 a.m. to pray for the church. If you've ever filled out one of the prayer cards in the pew rack, you have been prayed for by name. The elders visit the sick and pray for them. 
They provide counsel from the word and premarital counseling. Elders perform weddings and funerals. So the esteem that we have for them is based on actual service to the body. It's not based on personal affinity. The bottom line is a loving regard and esteem for those who serve in this way. So we are to appreciate and esteem. And the third member of this first triplet, live in peace with one another. This has a lot of implications, or a couple implications. First of all, we need to live in harmony, in peace with our leaders. Some people think that they have the gift of dissent. They are distrustful and suspicious of all authority. And they apply motivations and rationale to elder decisions which simply have no basis in reality. This harms everyone. Stop. The second thing is, <laughs> the second thing is harmony among the flock. There's a common exhortation from Paul that contentions are the work of the flesh against which we always need to be on guard. You remember last, um, last Labor Day weekend, I spoke from Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Paul writes, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Seek peace and pursue it, Psalm 34, which we read in our pre-service prayer this morning. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled, Hebrews 12. So we need to live in peace with one another and with our leaders. So we have this first triplet. Appreciate, esteem, and live in peace. Let's look at the second one. From Hebrews 13, 7. Remember, consider, and imitate. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 7. Now, one of the interesting things about remembering, and we've talked about this in the Home Builders because we've, we've been uh, in the book of Deuteronomy recently, is that remembering in Scripture is almost always preceded by action. Remembering pre- leads to or precedes action. For instance, if you look at Exodus 2.24, Israel, you remember they were enslaved in Egypt, and it said, so God heard their groan- groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what did he do? He brought them out. Numbers 15, 38 says, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves, this is a good one, tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them. So remembering precedes action. Hannah was barren and the Lord remembered her and she conceived Samuel. Paul writes, they only asked us to remember the poor. The apostles um, said that to Paul, remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So remember is not an exercise in nostalgia. Who are we to remember? Those who led you, those who spoke the word of God to you. 
This idea of leading, providing direction or support and oversight. The elders set the direction of the church going forward into the future and provide oversight for the present. Calvary Bible Church is mind-numbingly complicated. You can't touch anything without affecting all kinds of people and ministries that touch on that ministry. So um, this is something to keep in mind. This idea of leadership is not as simple as it may look at, like from the outside. We need to remember that when a decision is made that we don't like. Next, remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Again, back to this idea of teaching and instructing, exhorting, this exhorting aspect of the eldership. But we remember how? In a certain way or through a certain lens. We do this while considering the result of their conduct. It is right and proper for us to ask whether those who have oversight are practicing what they preach. Are they proving to be examples to the flock, as Peter talks about? Are they walking the talk? Are they above reproach? Are they living the things that they're teaching? And I think that the writer is making an important point here that the quality of the man directly affects the quality of the spiritual leadership that the man can provide. This gets to the issue of wisdom. The vast majority of elder leadership is done in the white spaces of Scripture. You don't need somebody to tell us, you shall not commit adultery. But when we get... Uh, but when we get between the commandments, when we get between the instruction, that's where wisdom begins to play its most important part. So he says, after remembering and considering their conduct, we are to imitate their faith. Now remember, I said that remembering precedes action. So imitate is a verb. This kind of verb is active. In fact, all faith is active, right? I fear that sometimes we categorize faith as an attitude or something that we give mental assent to, and that that's enough. We, we think that faith is believing the right things. Wrong. Faith is active. Faith is doing the right things. James doesn't mince words. I, you know, I've often wondered about James. Like, if you actually met him in person, like, would you like him? Or was he just so cut and dried that, like, he would be sort of hard to be around? But at a distance, I really like him. So, <laughs> so he says, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of faith chapter. And what do we see? Faith is, it's action. Abel offered a sacrifice. Noah built an ark. Abraham left his home and family not knowing where he was going. Abraham offered Isaac. Moses kept the Passover and led Israel through the Red Sea. The walls of Jericho fell down. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets... By faith, conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, and so on and so forth. The writer is saying that our leader's conduct is a manifestation of what they believe, of their faith. You can tell what they believe by the way they act. And his admonishment is to consider their conduct and what? Do as they do. Do as they do. I'm sorry to say 
that some of the biggest critics of the leadership of any church are the people who do the least. These are armchair quarterbacks who have never thrown a pass. So remembering is a call to action, to consider, to imitate. So we, to, to go back to the beginning, we appreciate, we esteem, and we live in peace. Then we remember, we consider, and we imitate. Now we get to the fun one. Obey. Submit. Pray. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. So, instructions like this, obey, submit, they really hit a nerve, don't they? These are words that go down hard to modern man. When I'm teaching, I do everything that I can to round out or to fill out the definition of words we encounter because I've noticed that often we use words when we don't really know what they mean. Especially today when language is being twisted and tortured, it's really important that we be true to the the Word, the Word of God, and that we express it clearly. And we did this earlier, and I did this earlier when I talked about appreciate, to know the content of, and we talked about that. So it's important for us to remember that this obedience and submission applies to the areas in which elders are given authority. That is, in the Lord, as we talked about earlier, in their teaching of the things which God has expressly commanded, in the exercise of the duties of regulating worship and order and administration in the church for our common good. This is what we submit to. For instance... One day, may it be soon, we're going to replace this green carpet. You may not care for the new color that is chosen for the new carpet. Make up your mind now that you will obey and that you will submit to that choice. And then get on with your life. (laughs) Obey and submit. How are these ideas different? Well, obedience I think of as the physical act. It's ridiculous to talk about the Christian life apart from obedience. There's a famous encounter between the prophet Samuel and King Saul. Remember, uh, uh, Saul went out and he did battle and he'd been instructed to destroy everything. But when Samuel showed up, come to find out, Saul had you know, a better idea. He thought he would improve on what Samuel told him. And he'd kept the animals alive. And he said, what's this? You know, did you do what I told you? And he said, well, yeah. And um, then Samuel says, so what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? He said, oh, oh yeah, well, I thought you know, we would keep them and make an offering of them. And Samuel responds and says, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. By faith, Abraham, when he was, uh, that's the end of that verse. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out 
to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Obedience is putting into practice the things that we're taught, the lessons that we learn. Submission is the heart attitude, actually from the Greek word to yield or surrender. And I heard an old preacher's story about a little boy who had been disobedient. And so his mother told him to go sit in the corner. And he said, okay, I'll go sit up, I'll go sit in the corner, but I'll be standing up in my heart. <laughs> so we could say that, that he obeyed, but he did not submit, right? But actually, actions and attitudes are connected. We went through a time here at CBC where it was all about the heart. And, uh, you know, far be it for me to criticize the past, but, but uh, we would say things like, well, you know, I need to make sure my heart is right before I do this or that. Or, yeah, I was supposed to sing with the choir this morning, but my heart just wasn't right. So, yeah, I, I, I couldn't do that. The problem is that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, as Scripture said. And the heart needs to be trained. Think of all the stupidity that we hear in pop music and pop psychology about the heart. The heart is an uncertain guide when it comes to morals and ethics. And that's where good teaching comes in. And when my renewed mind tells my will what is the right thing to do, and I do it, my heart will follow. So this verse tells us that those who have the increased responsibility of spiritual oversight of the flock are owed two things. Obedience and submission to the teaching and leadership of the word. Alistair Begg has some interesting things to say about how we are repelled by this kind of teaching. I, I hope you all know Alistair Begg is a pastor in Ohio. He's got a super cool Scottish accent. So it's like he can read the phone book and that sounds spiritual. And um, so he goes, and when he's talking about this idea of of submission and obedience, he goes back to Ephesians 5 and 6, where we see the principle of the wife's submission to her husband. And he says this, and I'm quoting, we live in a culture which not only rejects that idea, but wars against it. So when we have people who become members of our congregation who are not prepared to live within the framework of God's appointing within family life, and then you put them within the context of church life, and they don't understand the principle of submission in their home, what chance do they have of understanding the principle of submission in the church? So we see that the culture wars against these principles, which are scriptural by definition. So that's the end of that quote. I would suggest that one way of bringing this idea of submission into your home is to practice it at church. Don't complain about the carpet. The idea of submission is difficult, but it's clear. It does not overrule the kind of mutual submission which is integral to the church, nor does it call for mindless submission. Elsewhere in Hebrews 13, it says, Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. In other words, keep your brain on and your Bible handy. The submission that's called for is to the rule that's exercised in the name of Jesus, by the direction of Jesus, and by the rule of his word. Very briefly, we should obey our godly leaders because they keep watch over our souls as those who will give an account. To whom will the account be given? To the risen Christ. The eldership is a stewardship. 
That is the responsibility to protect something which belongs to someone else. The church is the flock of God. Christ is the master to whom the elders will give an account. Next, we should obey godly leaders because if we cause them grief, says let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. If we cause them grief, we cause ourselves grief. There are people who think that attacking the character of the leadership is a righteous thing to do, that in doing so, they're keeping them honest. When I think of the time lost in dealing with things like this, I grieve over the time that could have been spent in profitable ministry. Disunity hurts everyone. Our God is a God of peace, and disrespect disrupts the normal, edifying, building up metabolism of the body. It's like slapping your own face. Why would you do that? We obey godly leaders by obeying exhortations from God's word. As I said, key aspect of spiritual leadership is teaching. We should obey godly leaders because God mediates his rule through men. It's been this way from the beginning, and it will be this way forever. Adam was put on earth as God's regent. Christ speaks clearly of the apostles being given rule in the kingdom. The New Testament speaks clearly of elders' oversight of the church. There's no other system available. So this brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? How much do we value our soul's health? What role do we think that the church and its leadership play in our spiritual health? What connection is there between obedience, submission, and my spiritual well-being? The answer is that if we value our soul's health, we will value the role the church and its leadership play in fostering it. So we have appreciate, esteem, live in peace. Remember, consider, imitate, obey, and submit. And finally, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Pray for us. Prayer. It always comes down to this, doesn't it? The thing we all know we should do, and we all feel badly that we don't do it as much as we know that we should. When I knew I was going to be preaching this message, I added it to my ongoing conversation with a dear brother and friend of this church who played an important role in my spiritual life over the decades. He's a former elder at this church, and he taught the home builders before I uh, began teaching them. His name is Gary Smith. Some of you old-timers may remember him and his wife Pam back from Pastor Lau's days. So in our correspondence, as we were talking about this, he wrote this to me. And this is, just, this is just something from our email exchange, you know. It wasn't like something that he spent a lot of time, um, you know, putting together. And I asked him if I could share it with you this morning, and he said that I could. And I, and I want to share this because I think it gets to the root of the issue. Former elder Gary Smith writes to us, The greatest thing needed in all relationships, efforts, businesses, designs, etc., is prayer. Pray for your pastors, your teachers, your elders, your deacons. Pray and don't ever stop praying. We have not because we ask not. Who else will give us success if God doesn't give it? All of us, leaders included, are still in the flesh. We are weak 
and not strong. We are ignorant and not informed. We are foolish and not wise. How will we ever overcome these things unless the Spirit helps us? How will the Spirit help us if we don't ask Him? I remember people coming to me when I was teaching and telling me that they didn't like me or my teaching in the past, but they'd started to pray for me and everything had changed. (laughs) What a surprise. Uh, End of quote. So have you ever thought of prayer for the leadership that way? To pray for protection and wisdom for these men, which inevitably becomes a blessing for the entire congregation. So when we pray for them, we're blessing ourselves. Matthew Henry writes, the more earnestly, <clears throat> excuse me, the more earnestly the people pray for their ministry, ministers, the more benefit they may expect from their ministry. We, the congregation, the flock, the saints, must pray in the power of the Spirit with fervency and persistence that the Lord would provide the grace and wisdom needed by our spiritual leaders to protect and direct this local body of believers. Lacking that, when things go sideways, we have no one to blame but ourselves. So what do we do with all this? What's the responsibility and role of the congregation at Calvary Bible Church? Well, let's go back and review from where we started the three triplets. Appreciate, esteem, live in peace. Remember, consider, imitate, obey, submit, pray. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the men who have faithfully led this congregation over the almost 70 years that it has existed. I thank you for every one of them. I pray that you will bless them for the service that they have provided to this church. And Lord, going forward, I pray for the men that that you will bring to this group in the future, that you will raise them up, that you will make them wise, that you will give them a heart for you and a love for your word and a love for this body. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as a a congregation, that you remind us that these men are from us. They are from among us. They serve from among us. And that it is for our good that we pray for them. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.